today is a special day of the year. It's unbelievable that it is already the end of May. Do you realize that that uh, we are looking at June? Is that tomorrow or day after tomorrow? Tuesday. Tuesday is June the 1st. And uh, that means that we're talking already halfway through this year. Unbelievable, isn't it? Unbelievable. Time is swiftly passing. Now, a lot of people, I, I know the clicks on the clock, the, the ticks of the hand still says it's 60 minutes to an hour and 60 seconds to the minute, but it, time is swiftly passing before our eyes. But we do want to welcome you to service this morning. And as we welcome you to service, you all probably realize by now today is Memorial Day. And as today is Memorial Day, uh, we give honor uh, and memory of those that gave their life in the line of duty. Uh, let me say this before I start into this message this morning. If you're a first-time visitor here, if you haven't been here in a real long time, please fill out a Connect card. They are available out at the Connection Center uh, in, the, in the lobby. And uh, fill out one of those. I'm not going to harass you. I'm not going to call you and advise you that your extended car warranty is about to expire, but we would like to get to know you just a little bit better. So if you would do that, I would greatly appreciate it. So it is Memorial Day weekend. And as it's Memorial Day weekend, we all uh, we all probably think about a lot of different things from vacationing to to uh, uh, it's the unofficial start of summer. But Memorial Day weekend, Memorial Day in itself is a solemn day that was set aside not too awful uh, many years ago in this country to give tribute to those, as I've already mentioned, that gave their life in service. We set aside this day and, and commemorate all of those from 1775 in the Revolutionary War or whether it be the Civil War of 1861, uh, or on to the military engagements that mine and your generations have uh, remember. I remember, even though I was a child, I remember very vividly the Vietnam conflict. I had uh, several of my relatives. I'm the baby of my generation. And there was uh, 17, 16 or 17 in my generation. And I remember many of my generation. And my relatives that, that went uh, to Vietnam, or at least they were deployed somewhere in the Vietnam conflict. So I remember all of that. I, my family was blessed. To my knowledge, we lost, no, we lost no one in the war. But these wars have taken place here in this country that we live in. Many of them have taken place on foreign soil. But they all are, uh, all of the people that have served in these wars, they're patriots. They're patriots that paid the ultimate price, the price of their life. So during the course of this 245 years that the United States has existed as a nation, uh, I, I, I just did some research and I found a startling number. You know, we, we just heard some big numbers through all of this past 14 months about a pandemic and the number of lives that it could possibly take. But do you realize that War, through the 245 years of this nation, war has claimed the lives of 1.1 million Americans. Man, that's a lot. That is a lot that have given their lives. And that's not to mention we have Veterans Day and we have Armed Forces Day coming up that that will pay tribute to those who are veterans or those who are current and those who are currently serving. But this is 1.1 million that actually it cost them their life. Worthy of noting is over half of these casualties, over half of the 1.1 million casualties that have occurred in war have occurred on our land, on American soil. You know, sometimes we think about, you know, World War One, World War Two, Korean conflict, Vietnam War. But when we study out our the history of our nation, over half of these 1.1 million casualties occurred on American soil. Currently, currently the remains of 81,000 700 American troops are unaccounted for 
during World War II alone. 81,700 people that their families never even saw their remains again. Wow, that's... That's unreal when you put it in that perspective, isn't it? Most of that 81,000, in fact, uh, it's actually uh, uh, a little bit over half of that 81,000 of World War II casualties were considered lost at sea, either in the uh, European or the Indo-Pacific regions of World War II. 41,000 people lost at sea. We fly out front, I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but among our, our uh, United States flag, the Christian flag, the Israel flag, and the state of West Virginia flag, we fly a flag out there, we have been for several years now, that's a black flag, that's a POWMIA flag. That, that, that is an organization, if you would, that is a promise that's to, to, uh, to continue to search until everyone is accounted for. So over this last generation... Our generation, um, this country, I think, undeniably has been approaching a crossroads. We've seen many things occur. I, I, I realize I am getting older, but I don't consider myself all that old. But I sat on the front porch uh, of, a, of a fellow's house the other day, and those of you that follow me on social media saw it on Instagram and Facebook. I sat on the porch of a World War II veteran that's now 94 years old, and he was up on the top of an extension ladder working on the guttering of his house. It's been two or three times over the last several years they didn't look like he was going to survive, that he was even going to make it, and... And, and I said, I walked around the house and saw him up on that ladder. I said, James, what are you doing up on that ladder? He said, I'm working on my gutter. I said, you shouldn't be up on that ladder. He said, well, the ladder, he said, working on the gutter is no problem. He said, I just put a new roof on my back porch. Look at it. Come around here and look at it. He said, I carried 18 bundles of shingles up on my house all by myself. You know? I said, James, you shouldn't be doing that. But he began to sit and talk and he, he began to share with me, uh, you know, of his time in World War II and, and his love for America. And, but, but him, he being, to me, he, uh, I know he's not God and I don't mean to elevate him on the platform of divinity by any means. But, but to me, he's almost the epitome of, of a Christian. And he began to share with me and talk with me about the changes that he's seen this country go through. And he said, you know, when 9-11 happened, he said, it was really bad. He said, we all remember that, don't we? And I said, yeah, I sure do. He said, and I thought it was really bad. He said, but you know, 9-11 never really affected me a whole lot. I said, well, I can understand what you're saying. He said, but you know, when 9-11 happened, he said, I was praying. He said, and it was like this, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, there is something coming that will affect you. Even though 9-11 really didn't have a direct effect. He said, I never in my life dreamed that there would be a virus to come from overseas, he said, that would nearly paralyze the whole world and this country that we live in. He said, in all of my 94 years, he said, I have never seen things change like they have in the last 20 years. I'm not 94 years old, but I do vividly. I have a vivid memory of the last 20 years. And I tend to agree with my elderly friend. Over the last 20 years, and, and actually if you if you begin to, to, to search the history of America, not just America, but the world, but we're here as Americans in this room today, and, and maybe you're watching from other parts of the world on live stream or listening on radio this morning, but, but, but we're here in America and we're celebrating a very solemn weekend and Memorial Day. But, but here's the thing thing that I want to convey to you is when you go back and you begin to to search out the history not only the American history but you begin to search out the spiritual history of America there is a lot changed in America since 1948 in the end of World War II a lot there was there were some great revival movements that occurred 
uh, in the in the 50s, in the 60s, and especially in the 70s. And the Jesus movement occurred. But then we begin to see a shift in the the Christian culture, if you'll allow me to call it that. In, in Christendom in America, things begin to change in the late 70s, in the 80s. And I know some of you in this room weren't even here then. But trust me when I tell you things have tremendously changed through these years. You say, well... Pastor, that's always been, things have always changed. Yes, that is true. That is very much true. But I want you to know there's an old adage that says, history repeats itself. And this morning I want to preach to you, uh, that's not my title of the message, but I want you to keep that thought in mind. That history does repeat itself. There's some scriptures that I could maybe tie into that thought just a little bit. But, but it appears to be true in so many ways. Throughout history, world kingdom after world kingdom after world kingdom has risen up and has fallen. The Roman Empire was the farthest reaching kingdom. It lasted a little bit over 1,000 years in its entirety. But the Roman kingdom, it too came to an end. The scriptures give us the account of another powerful kingdom. Keeping in mind that the United States has existed some 245 years, but the Roman kingdom was the most, had the most longevity and it was the most powerful. There was another great kingdom that existed in the world and it was known as the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonian Empire existed for 400 years. But after 400 years, the, the Babylonian Empire too crumbled. Now, am I saying that the United States is destined to to crumble? Um, I don't know. But I do know this. History repeats itself. And I do know, short of the grace and the mercy of God, that's the reason, that's the only reason that we are here this morning and we exist in the capacity that we exist in. I want to read some scriptures to you. I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled, What Was Is. And I want to go to the book of Daniel, chapter 5. Daniel, chapter 5. I want you to remember this title, What Was Is. But I want you to keep in mind that thought that history repeats itself. So Daniel, chapter 5, verse number 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand... Of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and the silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. That's very important to us because those were still considered sacred. So he brought in the silver goblets Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king, there being Belshazzar, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods, little g, they praised the gods of silver and gold, uh, gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, suddenly, the fingers of a, uh, of a human hand appeared. The fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. Now, in chapters 4 and 5 of Daniel, we find the recording of the deterioration of the mighty empire that I mentioned earlier, the Babylonian Empire. For more than 400 years it existed. It was strong, it was mighty, it was powerful. It, it ruled the greater part of the known world at that time. But may it serve to us this morning as not only a historical account, historical account, but may it also serve to us to be a prophetic 
portrait of the future, perhaps even the present time that we're in right now. So what I want to do with you this morning is take you on a brief, simplistic journey, brief and yet and simplistic journey of the course of events that led to the collapse of the Babylonian Empire. The first thing that we see happen in the Babylonian demise was the Babylonians, especially Belshazzar, had an attitude of invincibility. Let me elaborate on that just a little bit. You see, at this time when this party, it was actually a bit of an orgy, if you would, according to historical documents. This, this, this party, this riotous party, this orgy that Belshazzar had called was, was in the midst of, yes, the city was walled. It had a mighty wall built around it. It was strong. It was fortified. And, and, and maybe it was the wall. I don't know. Maybe it was because of Belshazzar's uh, leadership. I really can't answer that question uh, accurately or in, in its entirety at all. But outside the walls of the city during this time that Belshazzar is gathering this riotous party together, if we study scripture and history, we find out that, that the city wall had, the circumference was 60 miles. 60 miles surrounding this city on the outside of its fortified walls were Medes and Persians. The enemy surrounded the city. But that didn't bother apparently Belshazzar. He thought he, everything was good. He'd been, why, well, this kingdom had been here for a hundred years and, and, and I'm, I'm strong. I, I follow a great lineage of leadership following my dad, Nebuchadnezzar. And, and he began, maybe somehow in his attitude, he began to think that he was invincible. Uh, studying will tell us and history will tell us that when you study the ancient city of Babylon, it is estimated that they had enough food supply in storage, an ample supply of food and water in the city for the city to continue for 20 years without ever opening the gate. 20 years, they could be buried, burrowed in, hunkered down for 20 years, and they would never be bothered. They could never be touched. They were self-sufficient. The Babylonians uh, perhaps thought because of their history and dominance, those strong walls, that invincibility, that destruction, that, that those Medes and Persians on the outside of the wall, they can't really touch us. More than likely, Belshazzar had... Lost all sense of reality. He threw us, he was throwing a big party, not even giving consideration to what lingered right outside the walls of his city. And, and he invites thousands of his guests and, and, and not even considering that destruction was just right outside of his door. You see, when we begin to feel secure in our strength, danger lurks just outside of our door. When we begin to think that we're invincible, whether as a nation or as people, even as Christian people, when we begin to think that danger is, is that, that we're strong and, and we can't fall and we forget that danger lurks just outside our door, then we find ourselves just like Belshazzar and Babylon. We find that we are too in a, in a, 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 a curse, if you would, or we stand to be overtaken because of the feeling of invincibility that we have. But when I read what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church, at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12 Paul wrote this to the church he said let him who thinks he stands take heed unless he also falls you know uh, a guy I can't really call him a friend I met him a few times and and uh, I, I went to some of his meetings, and and I and I heard him sing, and and he wrote a song. He was an African American fella, and he wrote a song that said, "I thought for, that number one could surely be me." And that song says, "And I can't even walk without you holding my hand. The mountains are too high, and the valleys are too wide." 
You see, when it comes to that place where, where we, we begin to think, I can handle this on my own. When it comes to that place where I begin to think, or we as a nation begin to think, uh, we can be a nation and we can abide here and we can have everything that we've had and we can continue on, but we really don't need God anymore or we discount His presence in our life. We need to beware because surely we'll fall. In spite of all of the people that gave their lives to bring us to where we're at. In spite of all of the people that, that have served and got to come home. You see, when we find ourselves as being invincible, when we behold ourselves as being invincible, we need to be very much, very much on our guard because we certainly have become vulnerable to say the least. The second thing that happened to Babylon was the loss of sacredness. You see, nothing was sacred to Babylon anymore. When you read there that 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 Belshazzar uh, he called for the artifacts of the temple that was brought up out of Jerusalem. He said, "I want you to understand this. What they represent, what they represent, is the sacredness of God." They, they, they represent the divinity of God, if you would. Those artifacts out of the temple in, the, in this in this circumstance, in this situation, they they in, they uh, they represented the blessedness of God. And, and Belshazzar, in his in this drunken party that he's holding, he says, "I want you to go down, and I want you to retrieve the artifacts that were brought up out of Jerusalem, and we're going to party with them." See, he had lost all. He had lost all account of, of sacredness. He had, he had, he no longer considered the things that were brought out of the temple sacred at all. You see, sometimes, uh, sometimes I look at our culture that we live in. Sometimes I look at, at, in the society that we live in. I posted a picture of my family, uh, eating, uh, supper the other night. You know, that's what we eat in, uh, in, over on the Virginia side. I don't, I, you know, and I think West Virginia side's the same way. You know, when we, we, if you want to eat dinner, you eat it at 12 noon. If you want, and then you eat at 5 or 6 o'clock, that's supper. Amen. Yeah. So we was eat, we were we were eating supper. I had I had put ribs on the I had ribs that I put on the grill five hours at two hundred degrees and dry rubbed them. We were eating supper. So we did the the great American thing. We took a selfie of us eating supper at the table. Well, I still had my hat on. And one guy I know, we're not related, but as close as you could come, he he tagged a comment on my message and said, you better not let Dolly catch you, which is somebody, another common person we know. He said, I call her Mama Dolly. He said, you better not let Dolly see you eating at the table with that hat on. You don't be in big trouble. And you know what? I thought about that. Then Charlie makes some kind of smart comment, didn't you, Charlie? Yeah. Now, you better not take that hat off. I'd blind everybody at the table. But but here's the thing about it. Uh, uh, you know, what he said was a lot of truth because when I was growing up, you didn't wear your hat at the table when you was eating. And typically I don't. But I just got caught. Okay? There, there's just a lot of things you didn't do. You didn't, you didn't get up when I, I, when I was real small, you didn't get up before the ta- out, out from the table until everybody else had got done eating or somebody told you you could get up that was much older than you. You youngins today, y'all don't know how good y'all got it or easy y'all got it. You know. You didn't eat in the living room on the couch, you eat at the table. You know. But all of those, those were not necessarily things that are, that are spiritually sacred things. They, they were just manners that we were taught and being polite, like saying yes ma'am, no ma'am, and thank you. And you didn't call people older than you by their first name. Like you was, you would, you would, I wouldn't call AK, AK, I would call him Mr. AK. 
And, and those were, those are a lot of values that we are lost, but, but they're not necessarily spiritual values. But on the other hand, I look around and, and I look at us as a society and as a nation, and I realize there's not only mannerisms and politeness that we have lost, but there's also spiritual disciplines that we have lost as a society. Nothing is sacred anymore. Now, do you have to dress up to come to church? No, I don't dress up like I used to. When I first started pastoring, it was nothing but suits and ties or sport jackets and ties. I don't do that all the time anymore. I sort of, you know, move have moved with the culture and all like this. But but there was a lot of things that we used to show respect for and disciplines for that we no longer do. Some of those things were, were really just a matter, again, of mannerism and being polite. But yet, I also see that there we have lost a regard for things that are truly sacred in our lives. And I'm not talking this just about the unsaved and the unchurched. I'm talking about even in the church per se, in Christendom, there are many things that we have lost our sacred values in. And as a nation, there's many things that we no longer hold sacred anymore. The third thing that I see that Babylon allowed to bring their demise was they forgot their past. Now, we're supposed to be people of vision. We are people of vision. I believe it's good to look ahead. I believe we, for, I believe we need to forget those, those sins of our past in the sense of, of we don't let them bind us and, and hold us down. I think it's important to look ahead. Um, most of you all that either drove or rode in a vehicle here this morning, you had a great old big windshield in your vehicle, but a little bitty mirror. You know, that's because what's ahead of you is more important than what's behind you. But there is some importance of what's behind you. That's why you have the mirror. So what we see is Babylon begin to forget about their past. Belshazzar begin to forget about the past. He forgot the lessons of his predecessor, his dad, his mentor. He forgot the lessons that Nebuchadnezzar had to learn the hard way. You know, some, there, 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 there's, there's times that my dad would try to teach me things and tell me things. And I want to tell you, in my, in my younger days, in my youth and, and, and youthfulness and, and, in my know-it-all youthful attitude, and there's nothing wrong with being youthful. And that's, it's a little bit of the part of being youthful. I, I, I just thought my dad didn't know anything at times, and I thought I was smarter than him. But now that I'm older, I have learned there's lessons that I can look back on that I learned the hard way had I only listened to my dad I would have learned them the easy way Belshazzar forgot about the lessons from his dad he forgot about the lessons that his dad had taught him he forgot about the lessons that his dad illustrated in front of him what happens what happened and what happens is pride overcomes us you see, when pride overcomes us, we, we begin, that's when we begin to stretch our shoulders back. And there's nothing wrong with being proud you're a Christian. There's nothing wrong with, with, with taking pride in accomplishments. But what I'm talking about is an un, ungodly, overwhelming pride. There, 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 there's a pride that, that, that Belshazzar could beat on his chest and say, look at me, I'm in charge. I'm the king. I know what I'm doing. I got everything under control. I'm, I'm Belshazzar the king. I'm king of the greatest, the greatest country, the greatest kingdom on the face of the earth right now. Babylon is mine. I'm in, I'm in charge and I'm in authority and pride overcome Belshazzar. But when I read the words of Solomon from Proverbs 16 and 18, I find there that, 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 that in those words of wisdom, I find these words penned that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. And I begin to think about another verse of scripture that Daniel wrote in chapter 4 leading up to the verses we read this morning in text. And, and Daniel said, those who walk in pride, he is able to put down, speaking of God. 
You see, I see, I see oftentimes that I'm as guilty as anybody. I'm proud to be an American. Later on, we're, we're, uh, I'm doing some music. Uh, first time ever, we're doing some, uh, I'm doing some music with my granddaughter. She's singing at a, at a memorial uh, weekend gathering over in Bland County later this afternoon. And we were talking about a song as we were practicing music earlier this week that says, I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. And I am proud to be an American. I'm proud to be a Christian. I am proud to live in Virginia. And I'm proud to pastor in West Virginia. I'm proud of many things in my life. But if I get so exalted in my pride that then then I read Scripture, I can see that God will not share in my proudness. My proudness is contrary to His glory. And I find that He may not... while. He may not bring me down. He will let me fall down. He will let me stumble. He will remind me that I'm not the great one. He will remind me that I'm not the mighty one. He will remind me I'm not the holy one. He will remind me that without Him, I am nothing. Without Him, I cannot do anything. Without Him, I can accomplish zero. But with Him, all things are possible. Let's not forget the past as believers. Let's not forget the past as a nation. And what better thing, what better topic, what better weekend could I bring this thought forth that Memorial Weekend as we, we remember those people that gave their life. But let's remember, let's remember where God has brought us from. You know, there was an old song, I think Dottie Rambo wrote it a long time ago, and, and it said, roll back the curtain of memory now and then. Let me see where Jesus brought me from and where I might have been. And, and when we think about about, I begin to think about our past. Where would I be without Jesus? Where would you be without Jesus? Where would the United States of America be? Would we even exist without Jesus? We were, we come from a group of people that was in the pursuit of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, if you would, and founded this nation. Let's be mindful. Let's be careful to let not let what what happened in Babylon to happen to this great country of ours. And you see, we are the people to address it. And here's why. At the root of America right now, it's not politics. It's not really the news media. Now, they all come into play a part. But it's not, it's not dirty politics. It's not a swamp in, in Washington DC. In, in essence, it's not, it, it's not the, the press. It, it's not, it's not atheism necessarily in particularly. It, it's not, it's not, uh, uh, it's not ungodly and unholy beliefs that, that, that you can, you're, you're, you're some, the, the belief of relativism that you're something that you're not. It's none of those things at all. But what the, the real root of the problem is, it's a spiritual problem. It's the seed of darkness. It's, it's, it, it, you know, at, at the root of every difficulty that this country has, there is a spiritual problem. At the, at the root of every problem that you and I have in our life, for the most part, in general speaking, there is a spiritual root. You know, it may not be that you've sinned, uh, you know, uh, it may not be that you're living a sinful lifestyle, but somewhere either you're coming under attack or there's a seed that you have sown that is coming forth. Let me tell you, what's happening in America now is not the result of something that just all of a sudden happened. For years, America has been turning away from God. For years, America has been walking away from the principles and the counsels of the Word of God. We have neglected the teachings of the Bible. We have, we have said, we, we, we took what was meant for the good of the church, the separation of church and state, and it has been taken and, and, and flip-flopped, put in reverse, and with the, and, and, and the people of America have done everything they can to remove church out of the concept of who America is. But let me tell you, 
something. If you take America, the church out of America, I'm a firm believer that you can take America out of the world. We will not last long. We will not stand long. Babylon didn't last, they lasted 400 years. We can say, well, we got 150 more to go. I, I don't know how long we got to go, but I'm telling you this. If we do not turn back to God as a nation and a country, we will see the demise of America happen. So it's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. What was, is. You see, what was, what, what happened with Babylon, what happened with Belshazzar, in, in essence, is the same thing that is unfolded in our nation today before our eyes. There's people that have profaned the holy things. People have no longer have regard for God and His holiness. People no longer have respect for one another. We see, we see riotous living, if you would. We see, you know, everything seemingly, in many ways, seems to be a party in America now. If it feels good, just go ahead and do it, we say. I had a discussion with some young men uh, last week, during the week, and I, I shared a little bit about that discussion in Life Group this morning. And as and as I was and as I was discussing with these young men, the one uh, young man he, he was wearing an upside down cross, and he identified with me that he was not a Satanist, but he worshipped idol gods. And, and 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 it was good, sound. It wasn't a dispute. It wasn't an altercation. He he said, "Tell me why I should believe that Jesus is the true God." And I began to share with him and. I told my wife, I said, even more so, my encounter with this young man is, is why so, so much the church, whether it's Voice of Praise or wherever, we need to understand and know the, apolo- the apologetics. Why we believe what we believe. And I looked at that young man, and, and he, he said, I've read, I've read the Bible. He said, I've read the King James Version. He said, my granddaddy's a Baptist preacher. He said, he said, I've read the Quran. He said, I've read the Book of the Mormon. And he went in all different things he's read. He said, all religions are the same. There's only one God. I said, I said, and he said, so tell me what you think. I said, okay. I said, now you ask me. I said, I'm just share with you from a Christian viewpoint, a Christian perspective. I said, of all these books that you've read, of all of these, of all this documentation that you've researched, I said, I want to tell you something. I said, there is only one of those books, and that's that King James Bible that you said you read, that documents and it's proven and it's considered divine. He said, yeah, but there's a lot of other uh, writings that were found in the scrolls. I said, yeah, but men of old researched them. And I said, you find in the Word of God books that were considered divine. Other documents may hold great historical value, but there is a divine work that is coming through the Scripture. I said, and in the Holy Scripture, you can study there and you can find that the Scripture identifies with itself. It proves itself. I said, and you find there that it was prophesied in the Old Testament that a woman would give birth to a baby in the New Testament and that baby would not, that woman would not know a man. That baby would be conceived of the Holy Spirit. That baby would be born. That baby would live. That baby would grow up. That baby would be falsely accused. That baby would be beat at a whipping post. That baby would be nailed to a cross that didn't belong to him. That baby would be buried in a tomb and that baby would raise again 33 years later and in a few more days he would ascend into heaven and he would be sitting at the right hand of the Father and he said, I will send you another comforter. I said, there is not another one of your gods that you can read, that you can find that after he came out of a grave, he walked down a road and he talked with some people and he told another one, feel this wound in my hand, feel this wound in my side. I said, there is no other God like the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, so think about that when you're considering who you're going to worship. And this week, Lord willing, if I get the chance, I'm going to take this young man another Bible. 
And I'm going to give it to him because he told me he had a hard time understanding. I said, I'm going to bring you one that's going to help you a little bit more. I got on a rabbit a little bit there, but I couldn't help myself. You see, it's, it's a root cause. The root cause is a spiritual problem. So what was in Babylon, I really sincerely believe, is a picture and a type of what is happening. Not, bang, all of a sudden, but what has been happening throughout our generation. But we're seeing it coming to fruition, if you would. So then what happens? Then what happens? When what was is. What happened with Belshazzar? Belshazzar was in a drunken state. But all of a sudden, Belshazzar saw a hand appear. Not a person, but just a hand. And as that hand appeared and to begin to write on the wall, it literally sobered Belshazzar. It literally awakened Belshazzar because the the hand of God and the writing on the wall was a writing of judgment. And I don't have time to go into all that this morning. But the reality of it is, judgment calls for repentance. Did you know that, and, and we preach, we preach and we sing, and I, I'm not saying it's wrong, don't misunderstand me, but we preach and we sing so much about God is love, God is grace, God is mercy, and all of that is true. And I thank God so much for love, mercy, and grace. But we also must not forget that God is also a God of judgment. A God of just judgment. He is just. He is upright. He is perfect in all His ways. And and He will judge us according to our works. So suddenly the handwriting comes. I personally believe for so many generations, the United States has carried the reputation of unshamedly and openly honoring God. It's etched in monuments all over our capital. Uh, Many times it will just simply say, in God we trust. It's, it's imprinted on government buildings. It's, it's printed on our paper currency. It's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's been everywhere all over our country. Uh, you see it on the back here, at least here in the South. You see it on the back of, uh, of government owned vehicles, fire trucks and, and police cars and rescue squads. We have credited him so much for our blessings and our success. But now, now there are many people that are saying it can't be it can't happen and we're slowly even here in the conservative south we're seeing it vanish before our eyes we turned to him over the past generations we've turned to him in our great losses we've been dependent on God but today like Babylon we've seemingly lost our remembrance of where we were and where he brought us from. I'm not trying to get political this morning. I'm just trying to preach you the truth and alarm you. A phrase, a term that has become very prominent in our land, especially in the past six months, but in the past year or so, has been the phrase or the term cancel culture. We live in the age of cancel culture. We want, we want to, we want to block out anything that we don't like or we don't agree with. Let me tell you, I wonder if Belshazzar had his own cancel culture going on. It's very apparent he forgot about where God had brought his dad from and brought his dad through. Let's not on this memorial weekend, let's not forget about where God has brought us as a nation, where He's brought us as a country, where He's brought us as a people. What was it about America that made us so great? 
What is it about America that has caused men and women through the ages and still even today that has caused men and women from nations all over the world to risk their lives and fortunes to come here? What is it? There's been something about the United States of America that has been distinguished from our neighbors to even for the north, Canada, and to the south, Mexico. Canada was settled by French explorers and, and Mexico was, was settled by the Spanish. They were in search of gold, literally. But here in the, in United, what we call the United States, it was settled by men and women that came here looking for a place to worship God in freedom and in truth. A place where God could be exalted and worship in spirit and in truth. And they found that place. It wasn't necessarily about silver and gold. It was about giving honor and worship unto the King of kings and the Lord of lords and worshiping their God. Don't let us ever forget that. President Woodrow Wilson in one of his addresses once stated a nation that does not remember what it was yesterday does not know what it is today or what it is trying to do. You see if we don't know where we came from We're not going to really put value on what we are today. And if we don't put value on what we are today, there's a good opportunity at some time we may not have it tomorrow. God has blessed us as a nation. But there's the thing about the judgment of God. When we study the judgment of God in in Scripture, there is a principle that any time that any any time God pronounces judgment, He gives a space of repentance. Search it out. Every time God announces judgment, God gives a space of repentance. God, right now, yes, we are the New Testament church. We're living in a day of a of, of love, mercy, and grace. The blood of Jesus is freely given. Anybody and everybody that that the, as the Holy Spirit draws them can be saved. It is God's will that no man perish, but every man, woman, boy, and girl come to the salvation of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want that. But if we don't receive that, if we don't accept that, if we don't repent, judgment will surely come. It may not happen until we leave this world. And it, or it may not happen until after the, the if the rapture of the church should take place and and, and seven years of tribulation comes and, and and but but needless to say judgment will come. But the good news is, right now, because I want everybody to do this right now. I want you to just take a deep breath, breathe in and exhale. Here's the thing about it. While there is breath, there is hope. And we're still sitting in this room, or you may be sitting at home, or driving down the road in your car, and, and, and we still have breath, and we can still breathe in, and we are still exhaling, and, and we have space, and we have time to repent. What's repent mean, Pastor? Uh, well, you know, for a long time, and that's just simply the way I was taught because, you know, I, I just grew up in that era like most of you. I thought repenting means you found an altar somewhere and you just laid across and said, Oh, Jesus, forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me. Forgive me. Oh, forgive me for stealing all that milk in the lunch line. Forgive me, Jesus, for those extra hamburgers I stuffed in my pocket and didn't pay for I did. I, I did. Yeah, I used to go through the lunch line. I tell them, I said, "Give me an extra. Give me two extra hamburgers." And I wore chore coats. Some of y'all know. And I'd stick them extra hamburgers in my chore coat because I didn't want to pay for them when I went through the lunch line. And I did ask Jesus to forgive me of that. Okay. But listen, repentance is not begging in Jesus' forgiveness. Repentance is when you make a decision that you're going to make an about face. If you've had, if you've been going south, 
You say, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to head north. If you've been going west, you don't turn around and say, I'm going to go east. You've been going, walking away from Jesus. Let me tell you, if the warmth from the sun is on your back, if it's shining on the back of your head, turn around and look towards the sun and let Jesus shine down on your face. Turn to Him. That is what repentance is about. And that's what God, I believe, is calling us or would have us as a nation to do. It's to come to repentance. I believe with all of my heart that we can't sit back as a church and say all of these sinners need to repent. All of these unsaved people need to repent. No, I think it's got to start with the church. In fact, what I read in Scripture, it says, when I shut up heaven so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. All those are judgments. He says, if conditional, if my people, my people who are called by my name, my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will hear their land. I believe right now it's more crucial for the church to rise up in America than it has ever been at any point and time in the course of these 200 and 45 years. I believe right now it is very important for the church to be humbling themselves and praying to God. Because I found out that Jesus told the church when He was getting ready to finish up His his walk, His earthly ministry here as a as a incarnate God, if you would. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt of the earth has lost its savor or its saltiness, He says... Wherewith shall it be salted? You see, the church, the church has been ordained and called to be the preservative of the earth. How many of y'all ever went to the refrigerator? Now wait a minute. Maybe you're fancy and you say frigid air. Or maybe you like me and you just took the R off of it and you say the frigator. How many of y'all ever went to the refrigerator and, and got you out, got you a bottle of pop that had been opened previously and that thing's there and you get that thing out and it's flat. Has the African plains. I mean, it's flat as a fritter. You know, it's... Don't you just love that? You're you're expecting to turn up that Diet Dr. Pepper and it tickle your nose and that thing's just as flat as can be. You know, I've got a remedy for that. I tell you what you can do with if you have that occur in your house. Take it over to the kitchen sink and pour it down the drain. That's what I do. That's startling to me. When I listen, and I'm I'm a I'm a popaholic. Okay, I drink too much of it. I am doing better. I have cut back. I'm not drinking any more than about four diet Dr. Peppers a day now. Where I was doing six to eight. So I'm doing better. I'm doing better. Right? A little bit better. A little bit. But here's the thing. I want, if I don't, if I don't, Open a diet Dr. Pepper. I like it when I open that lid. I like for it to go. And I like it for it to tickle my nose just a little bit when I'm drinking it. I like to feel that. I like, I like to feel that, 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 that carbonation. I like to feel that, that, that bubbly, bubbly feeling, you know, and all that. You know, it gets colder than water. Water's boring. But here's where we're at is the church. You know, if the if the salt is no longer salty, it's really not good for anything. Is what the Lord is saying to us. It's time for the church to regain its saltiness. It's time for the church of America to be renewed. Listen, let me tell you something. While the nation may be looking at a politician to solve their issues, while the nation, the country may be looking for a system to solve the issues of this country, while people may be looking for all of those things, let me tell you something. I believe, I believe it's not about people, but I believe the entity that will, that will resolve the nations of this world and the, in particular the problems of this country that we live in, 
is for the church to get back to God, for the church to repent, for us to humble ourselves, to pray, and to once again get a hold of Jesus and let Him rule and reign, put Him in our remembrance, put Him in charge, and let Him, let Him rule and reign over our lives and become the salt that salts the earth. One more time, one more time, one more time, let us be the salt of the earth, God. One more time. Let us, let us savor the earth. So on this Memorial Day weekend, I thank God for those that gave the ultimate sacrifice. They paid their price in the, not just their blood, but their, their, they paid their price in their lives. Their boot, their, their boots, their clothing never, maybe never came back home. They've never been seen again. And while I appreciate that so much, and it's so important on this day, and I give honor to those and the families that gave their loved ones, let me tell you something. On this memorial weekend, as we remember those, there's one greater that needs to be remembered, and it's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. And the price He paid, and the things that He, the things, the blessings that He has done for this country and this nation. As they sing and play something for us this morning, I want you to do this with me. I just would like for you to to just bow your heads. And as your heads are bowed, in this room, I believe it's it's always good for us as believers. Let me remind you of what the Scripture said. It's God said, when my people which are called by my name, my people and my name. He said, when they humble themselves and pray, Christian or believer or unbeliever, sinner as we use that word, we're called to repentance. As a nation, we need to repent. We need to repent over these babies we've killed. We need to repent over the disloyalty that we've shown to the kingdom of God. We need to repent over not giving God our attention and our love. Peter, do you love me? Jesus said. He said, you know I do, Lord. He said, didn't feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, you know I do. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, you know I do. He said, feed my lambs. We need to repent about not being about the Father's business. I don't mean to be doomsday. Uh, today whatsoever that's not my intentions but I am preaching to you out of a heart that is much concerned and for the if Jesus tarries his coming for the heritage of my of my my son but more importantly my grandkids if Jesus tarries his coming I'm afraid that in another generation or two they're not going to know the land that we've known they're not going to know the opportunities that we've known. There's men and women that have gave their life that we can be where we're at right now. Jesus gave His life that we can be saved and be where we're at right now. So if you're in this room this morning, or if you're sitting at home or driving, watching my live stream, and you're unsaved, I want to ask you this question. Would you like to be today? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to point anyone out in this room. But if you're in this room and you've never known Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never made that profession of faith, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. Is there anybody in this room? Okay. Is there anybody in this room that needs to renew your relationship? You feel like, yes, I'm saved, I'm a believer, but I need to renew my relationship. Is there one person? 
this is what I want to ask you to do with me right now. I want you guys to, and ladies to stand with me and look, look this way. I want you to turn to the person closest to you. And I want you to, I want you to vocalize this to the person closest to you. Our nation is dependent upon you. Then I want that person to look back at you and say, and say, our nation is dependent upon you. And more than likely, very few of us, if any, in this room will ever go off to war. But there's a war that needs to be fought on our knees right now. There's a battle that needs to be fought in humility right now. And every person in this room, every person watching or every person listening, we are being called. We're being called to that battle of humility and prayer right now. Pray like your nation depended on it. Humble yourself like your nation depended on it. Humble yourself and pray like you depend on it.